reading from God's Word today is Acts 4, verses 23 through 31. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. This is God's word. You may be seated. was not able to be here last night when we had our fall festival, but understand that we had around 300 people. Uh, a lot of those people, a lot of those folks, visitors with their small children who came up to our place to, uh, to, to have a fall festival and to, to, to do candy and booths and have food and to play games and those kinds of things. And I know a lot of the folks here that do not have small children that might not participate in fall festival volunteered their time to be a part of the booths and some of the, the other activities so that the families with small children could interact with the friends that they brought, the visitors and such. And I want to say, well done. That is just absolutely awesome that we have 300 people here. And Barry is going to be very, very busy over the next couple of weeks organizing visitation and making contact with those people. And, and speaking of Barry, uh, yesterday uh, I'm flying back from Nashville. I, I mentioned that uh, I was a part of a, a board meeting for a Great Cities Missions. And uh, about the time that the board meeting is ending, we all start getting texts on our cell phones saying, your flight to Dallas has been delayed. So we go, well, okay, we don't have to rush to the airport, and we kind of take our time. We get to the airport, and the lady says, the plane that was supposed to leave at 3.30 has not even left Dallas yet. And there's about a 50-50 chance that it's not going to leave Dallas because of mechanical problems. And I looked at Ms. Jackson, who works for American Airlines, and I said, Ms. Jackson, I love Nashville. I don't mind spending the night here if I have to, but I just want you to know that there's a fella by the name of Barry Newton back in San Antonio, Texas, that is not going to like a phone call he's going to receive tonight about having to preach tomorrow morning. She said, I want to help that guy out. And they found me, found me a flight, and I got in close to midnight. And it was, it was an awesome flight. What a great day, though, to, to just be with, with people that are mission-minded. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning as we look at the book of Acts. We're, as you know, we're, we're doing the Holy Words uh, series. We're looking at every book of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And this morning we're going to be looking at Acts. Tonight we're going to look at Galatians. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, we're grateful for time and for energies and for resources 
that allow us to press our mind into Your Word in such a way that You change us, that You transform us, that You disciple us, that You deepen us, that You humble us, that You make us more modest before You. You make us more sacrificial and generous and more visionary and imaginative of what Your great power can do in this world. And we're so thankful for the book of Acts that, that, that feeds that vision for what You would have Your church do, Father, as, as Your Son Jesus builds His church all over the world. And so as we study it this morning, Father, we're, we're asking that You give us eyes to see and truly, truly, truly ears to hear it in order to turn all of our life to You. Father, bless us in this study. And we pray it in Jesus' name. And all the church said, Pierre Paul Thomas grew up in the 1940s in Montreal, Canada. And he grew up a sad little kid. And the reason was he was born blind at a time when there were not a whole lot of medical science options out there to correct his blindness. And so he was a sad little boy as he could only imagine how much fun his brothers were having playing hockey, how much freedom would be experienced when those skates hit the ice, and how much fun roughhousing and could only live kind of vicariously through their descriptions of what it meant to be a hockey player as he was growing up as a little, little boy in the 1940s. Well, just a couple of years ago, like 2012, maybe, maybe even last year, 2013, at the age of 66, Pierre Paul Thomas fell down some stairs and severely, severely injured himself. Broke most of the bones in his face and it took lots and lots of surgeries to do the repair work. And after months of surgery and repair work and, and all kinds of therapy that he had to go through to, to get movement back and speech and all of these things, he's had a cons consultation with a plastic surgeon. He's been blind for 66 years, doesn't really know what the, the, uh, his face looks like, but the plastic surgeon is talking with him and consulting with him about the work that needs to be done to repair his scalp from the injuries. They're kind of at that part of his rehab. And in an offhanded statement, as he's checking the scalp and looking at it and, and talking to, to Pierre Paul about what it would take, he just says, oh, oh, by the way, while we're at it, would you like us to fix your eyes? And Pierre Paul didn't respond. Did not understand the question. Absolutely had no clue how to answer that question. Well, the plastic surgeon explained that today, you know, we, we could give you back your sight. And just shortly after that, that conversation, Pierre Paul's life moved from darkness into light and into bright colors. At 66. At 66. You know, spiritually speaking... There is always a God moment that fixes everything. There's always a God moment that fixes everything. And in the Bible, it's called the cross. Now, we've been saying throughout this series, beginning in January until today, that the Bible is not a collection of random stories. It's not. It's one story about God and about creation and about man and the relationship with God and what went wrong when sin entered into the world by our not trusting God and, and our introducing sin into the world and, and the thorns and the thistles that not only infected the world and made the world a difficult place and, and marred God's beautiful, good creation, but the thorns and the thistles got inside of us. And not only is it about what went wrong, but mainly it's about what God is doing to put it back together. 
Now, the last couple of weeks we've been looking at the Gospels and the life of Jesus. And the Gospels bring clarity to what God is doing and has done about the thorns and the thistles. The Genesis 3 curse that came into the world when sin entered into the world. That God the Son would become flesh. He would live that perfectly righteous life. The life that we should have lived but could not because of sin. And in love, God the Son having become a human being, takes our sentence of death. It's because of our guilt, and He dies the death that we should have died in order for us to get His eternal life. And after three days, God resurrects Jesus from the dead, and through faith we get that life without the thorns and the thistles, and we get it without even the sharpest of the thorns, which is death. We know that when we are released from sin, that we are released from death. Death has been defeated. And the sacrifice of God the Son is bringing God and man back together. When the thorns and the thistles, the sin, entered into creation, it caused God and man to be separated. Man could not come into God's holiness, and God's holiness could not tolerate the sinfulness of man. Now, because of the cross of Jesus, the thorns and the thistles, all of that is being reversed. And God and man, instead of moving further and further apart, are being, being brought together. Man being adopted. Women of faith, men of faith, people making decisions of trust and obedience to God in faith, being adopted by Him in love and being brought back together. And that message and that ministry was spread throughout the entire world to all people by the church. As Paul would say, the message of the church is that the that people, as they come to faith, the kingdom of darkness is losing its citizens. That as people are are moving to faith in Christ Jesus, they are being transferred from one kingdom, the kingdom of darkness, into a kingdom of light. And that was the message that was spread and the ministry that was done by the church in the first century. And now as we read the book of Acts, what is being described for us is how God's human reclamation project continues to this very day. Now what I want to do is I want to give you... There's 28 chapters. We don't have time to really go in depth of all of the things that are written for us in the book of Acts. I encourage you, if you've not read it recently, to spend this afternoon going through it. But let me give you a very, very quick outline of the book of Acts. Number one, up here on the screen, the 50 days of preparation. It's chapter one. Jesus has been resurrected. He is giving convincing proofs of that resurrection to all of His disciples, to the ones that are going to begin the church, going to be the foundation of the church. And as He's giving them convincing proofs that the resurrection is a reality, that He did not just hit death and bounce back into this life, but went through death to the other side, to a new kind of life, a resurrected life, He also teaches about the kingdom of God. It's during this period of time that Judas is replaced, which brings us to chapter 2 in the day of Pentecost and the birth of the church. On that day, the Holy Spirit descends on the apostles. Peter preaches. Those people that just 50 days earlier had been clamoring for the death of Jesus and the release of Barabbas, the the, the murderer, Peter preaches to them and 3,000 of them are baptized. In chapter 3, going through about the middle of chapter 6, the church grows and continues to grow and problems at the same time begin to appear. The miracles and the preaching lead to pushback from the Sanhedrin in chapter 4. Satan is not going to allow the church to move without threats and without opposition and without pushback and without resistance. You have in chapter 5 Ananias and Sapphira who, who threatened the integrity of the church by, by lying to the Holy Spirit. 
You have a division beginning to, to be created inside of the church as the Grecian widows and the hometown widows and, and the daily proportions of food begin to threaten that unity. You have the choosing of the deacons to resolve that issue and the church continues to, to grow as the problems appear. But then persecution focuses and it gets very intense. But the church continues to expand, chapter 6 to chapter 12. One of those deacons that helps resolve the issue with the, the widows is seized, he is put on trial, and he is stoned. He is, he's really martyred. He's, he's lynched by a mob outside of the Lion's Gate or the Stephen's Gate in, in Jerusalem to, in, that you can see at this day. We are introduced at that point to Saul. It's kind of foreshadowing to this fellow that is going to become sort of the major character of the book of Acts towards the, the latter half of it. The church is scattered, though, because of this persecution and the death of Stephen. But the apostles are going to stay in Jerusalem. The church moves into Samaria. It begins to spread into Judea. In chapter 8, the Ethiopian eunuch is converted by Philip. In chapter 9, that Saul who is persecuting the church and, and is hating the church and was there uh, just smiling from ear to ear that Stephen is being stoned to death because of his faith, he is converted by the Lord Jesus on the way to Damascus. And then in chapter 10, Peter is in Joppa, and he has this vision that leads him to preaching to a Gentile by the name of Cornelius and converting his entire family up the coast at Caesarea Maritima. And it's also not long after this that that very Peter is thrown into prison by Herod Agrippa I, but is miraculously rescued as the church prays for it. Then in chapter 13, the Antioch, that church in Antioch that, that begins in chapter 11, that church in, in chapter 13 begins the Christian mission. And on a day when they are fasting and praying and worshiping and fasting, Saul and Barnabas are set aside by the Holy Spirit and they hit the road for places like Cyprus and Pisidian Antioch and Iconium and Lystra and Derbe. And, and Gentiles now are being brought into the church. But that brings up another set of issues. You've had two groups of people that have been living very separate from each other in terms of worldview and values and just the ethnicity of it all. They're living very separate lives. And now inside of the church, all of those walls of enmity, all those walls of hostility are being knocked down. And Jewish people, Hebrew people, Gentile people, Greek people are being brought into the church. And the church has to decide, how, is this, how, is, how can this happen? You know, How can this happen successfully? How can there, the church be one the way that God the Father and God the Son and God the Spirit are one. And so they had this big conference. The church has a gigantic conference in Jerusalem to figure out what to do. And from there, Paul goes back to Antioch with some instructions about how that's all to happen. Paul, in Acts chapter 16, goes to southern Asia Minor, uh, primarily to Corinth. And then later, in Acts chapter 19, he hits Asia Minor uh, again, and this time it's primarily Ephesus. And then the last thing in this outline is chapters 20 through 28, Paul goes on to Rome. And that's where the book ends, and it ends sort of in a funny way. You get the sense when you read Acts that there's more to it. And there is. But before we get there, a couple of themes that you find throughout the book of Acts. Number one, God uses the church to change the world. Meaning, the message of repentance and faith, or repentance and belief. God intends for His church to change the world. In Acts chapter 20, verse 21, I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in what? Repentance and have what, church? Faith 
in our Lord Jesus. When you talk about repent and repentance and faith or repentance and belief, what you're talking about is not just forgiveness, but a life that is being changed, that's being calibrated to think and to live and to respond and to react and to exist in a completely different way. He says, I've declared to both Jews and Greeks, that is, to everyone, that they must turn to God and live in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. All people everywhere are called to repent. And that was part of Paul's message to the Athenians in Acts chapter 17 and verse 30, that this repentance is not optional. And over and over again, when, when Peter or Paul or anyone talks about repentance, it's associated with the forgiveness of sins. It's part of the first sermon on Pentecost where the people that just 50 days prior had crucified Jesus, they cry out to Peter, what must we do to be saved? And what is it that Peter says? You must what? Say it. Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Salvation, coming into God's love, living with God forever. That salvation is meant to be a life-changing event. Repentance is about changing the, the direction of your life. And when Peter explains how he went to Caesarea Maritima and baptized Cornelius and his family, the Gentiles, the leaders in Jerusalem say this in Acts chapter 11, So then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Repentance is not just limited to a mental framework. It's not just a decision that I'm going to live in a different way. That I, that it's not just a decision that says, you know, my life is going to have some different values. Repentance embraces, uh, I, the idea of repentance, the act of repentance, the, the, the moment of repentance embraces the entire human being. It means to live in a completely different way in the world. When Paul is speaking with King Agrippa at the end of Acts, he says, I preached that they should repent and what? Turn to God and what? Let's say that all together. Demonstrate. Demonstrate their repentance by their what? Their deeds. question is this. When, when you get up in the morning and after breakfast and coffee and you're in the car and you're going dropping kids off at the school or you're going to work or you're picking up the paper or whatever it might be, you're going shopping, you're, you're, something that you're doing with your day, do you see your life because of the repentance and the faith that brought you into the, into the relationship with, with God that is at the, the center of your life? Is, is your demonstration, is your turning to God visible to other people? Do they, do they see a difference in your life? A life that, that, that is marked with joy. And a life that, is, that is, is blessed with peace, which means that when everybody else in the world is feeling anxiety, you have peace. That when everybody else is, is, is filled with consternation and, and dealing with frustration and, 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 and getting angry over it, that there's a sense of peace in your life and this inexpressible joy that you don't really, you know, you can't really describe it, but you know it's there because you feel it even in the presence of, of an of a, of a circumstance or a situation where that should not be the overriding emotion in your life. As a character in the ongoing story of Acts, do you live your life in such a way that it brings change into our world? By the way that you do your good deeds. By the way that you handle the things that God has given you generously in this life. 
Well, not only does God use the church to change the world, and the, the theme of repentance and belief throughout the book of Acts testifies to that, but the Spirit of God extends and expands the kingdom of God into the world. It's not just we have this idea about changing it, but the Spirit of God is extending and expanding the kingdom of God into the world. Right before Jesus begins His ministry, He's baptized by John in the Jordan River. And as He comes up out of the water, what happens next? Holy Spirit! descends, the Holy Spirit that looks like a dove, descends on Jesus. And in Acts, as the church is getting ready to begin, we see the same thing happening to the disciples. Pentecost comes and the Spirit of God is poured out on all of the disciples and they begin to preach the good news of Jesus. And soon that little band of about 120 people become 3,000 members of a fellowship, of a community of faith in Jerusalem. And then it's not long after that that you get into the book of Acts. It's, it, you know, it's getting so big that they say it's 5,000 men. And then after that, it's, it's myriads of, of members. And it expands not just numerically. It's not just extending into numbers, but it's extending into ethnic groups and into different races. Later, as the Spirit falls on the Samaritans, it is a signal to Peter and John that the kingdom has been opened to the Samaritans. In Acts chapter 8, the Spirit sends this deacon Philip to the Gaza Road where he meets up with an Ethiopian eunuch who's reading out of Isaiah about the, uh, about the death of the Messiah in Acts chapter 8. In Acts chapter 10, in Acts chapter 11, it's the Spirit that convinces Peter that he needs to go to Caesarea Maritima to preach to, to this Gentile and his family, a fellow by the name of Cornelius. And in verse 19, Luke says, you know, while Peter was still thinking about this vision down there in Joppa where this net is let down with all of these unclean animals, and he's told, you need to eat these things. He said, no, 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 no. I don't eat these unkosher foods. It dawns on him, it dawns on him that God is speaking to him. And while he was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them for I have sent them. And in Acts chapter 13, it's the Spirit that sets apart Saul and Barnabas for the mission to the Gentiles. Acts, uh, Acts chapter 13, verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. The Spirit of God is a gift from Jesus to the church in order to take the Gospel to the ends of the world. And one of the ways that we participate in that is through prayer. The faith of the church is seen in its prayers. Poll conducted not too long ago, earlier this year, by Lifeway Research found that, that folks in America are pretty picky about who and what they pray for. 82% of the time, our prayers include some kind of request for family and friends. That makes sense. We pray for the people we love. 74% of the time, our prayers include something about our own problems and our difficulties. We're looking to make a, a decision. We're looking for a door to open. There's some problem that we're having to deal with. We need it to be resolved. 37% of the time, our prayers include something about our enemies. 12% of the time, we pray for our government leaders. 36% of the time, our prayers include something about financial prosperity. 21%, and this is kind of connected, 21% of our prayers uh, include a, a, a prayer specifically to win the lottery. 
13% of our prayers include a prayer for our favorite sports team. Lord, help the Longhorns. Lord, help the Dallas Cowboys. In that list, family and friends, problems, difficulties, enemies, government leaders, prosperity, the lottery, the Cowboys, the Aggies. Notice anything missing from that list? Yes. Where are the prayers for the Gospel to reach every ear? Last Monday night, I met a, a fundraiser for, for Young Life last Monday night. And many of you know Young Life is a, is a, a ministry that is able to get into high schools. And the idea is to, is to, to bring high school kids together and, and for them to have fun time and it to be a safe time. But it's also a time at the very end of the Young Life meeting on a Monday night or a Tuesday night with all of these kids present for, for them to hear something from the Bible that's going to change their life. And, and one of the goals, one of the vision pieces of, of, of young life is that they believe that every teenager has the right to hear the Gospel at least once. As a church in San Antonio, the 8th, ninth largest city in America, every day do we pray that somehow... Every person in this city, every person in Bear County, in Guadalupe County, Comal County, all of the counties, the metropolitan area, will have an opportunity to run into somebody that can share with them what it means to be a child of God. What it means to experience forgiveness. What it means to experience God's gift of the Holy Spirit in you. And it's not you just trying to change your life according to willpower and, and grit and guts. But it's God helping you to change your life into the kind of person that you were always intended to be. Somebody that is conformed to the image of Jesus. In Acts 1, the church prays for the coming of the kingdom of God. In Acts chapter 2, we read about the early church devoting themselves, devoting themselves to teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to what? Church said. To prayer. Devoted to prayer. One of the most important texts on prayer and acts is the one that Russ read just a minute ago. I want to read it again. It's so powerful. In Acts chapter 4, on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Some tough things had just happened. And when they hear the report from these two fellows, these two leaders, the first thing they think about doing is, is lifting their voices together. Not individually, but together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, You made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of Your servant, our father David. Quote Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against His anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to what? To speak. To speak your word with great Boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal 
and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And they prayed. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the Word of God boldly. Later, when Peter is captured and thrown into prison by Herod Agrippa I in Acts chapter 12, the, the church is praying because Peter is going to die. James had been put to death by the sword and it made a lot of people happy, so Agrippa thinks that he can garner even more political uh, 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 influence and, and, and more political poker chips by getting the big fish Peter and putting him to death. And the church is praying and the prayers are answered. Prayer recognizes complete dependence upon God to get the job done. And prayer recognizes what the job is. Not just our dependence on God, but the entire world's need to be infused with God's Spirit and His forgiveness and His holiness and His blessing through our trust in the greatness of Jesus' sacrifice. That's what prayer recognizes. little book I was reading had a quote in it that I've been thinking about for, for some time. The quote is, what imagination does to reality is the reality that we live by. It's, uh, David Ignatow read it in a book uh, as a quote uh, called Under the Unpredictable Plant. What imagination does to reality is the reality that we live by. And so in closing, I just ask, what happens to you when you read the book of Acts? Do you see just a piece of church history that's, that's very interesting? Do you see a piece of history that, that, that is, uh, helps you maybe to understand a little bit of how you got to where you are today? Do you see just a model? Or in it, do you see how God is changing the world and that we today in this place are the continuing story of the book of Acts? That Jesus came to build His church. And as He builds His church, and that church is planted in all of these different places around the world, that as that church is built by Jesus of Nazareth, and people are becoming disciples, forgiven and full of repentance and full of God's Spirit and, 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 and following in the steps of the Christ, that we today are continuing that story that began in Pentecost 2,000 years ago. That the MacArthur Park Church of Christ is a worshiping and a fellowshipping church that is changing San Antonio by making disciples. Wherever we go. Trusting God's Spirit to open doors. As Jesus said in John chapter 16 of convicting people of, 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 of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. That doors are being opened up where we ourselves never thought that they would be opened. But because we have faithfully prayed to God to open these doors. And God helping us to speak that word boldly that as we go into this community, wherever it might be, wherever we go, that we continue the story of the people who live and speak boldly the gospel of Jesus. Ben's going to lead us in a song right now. It's our invitation time. Maybe there's some things that are happening in your life that, that you would like to see change and you need help to connect to God and, and to connect to God in such a way that that you become sanctified and, and more obedient to His Word and more, more driven into the, into the fellowship of this church in such a way 
that you find yourself being conformed to the image of Jesus on a daily basis. Or it might be that you've never, ever, ever given yourself in faith to God and said, I know that those thorns and thistles have not only hurt me, but that even in the way that I live my life, I'm creating thorns and thistles wherever I go in relationships, my finances, my health, the people that are most important to me. And I want that to change. And I want it to change and it be according to your will and to your purposes in my life. And if that describes you this morning, we're going to have some of our shepherds down here at the front that can talk to you specifically about how that can happen today. And if that fits you this morning, we want you to come down and talk to these shepherds as we stand and praise God together. Oh, hail the power of Jesus' name. Let